Welcome to the Dear Bronx Science Podcast. My name is Victoria Lee, a member of the Bronx High School Science Class of 2012. Through this podcast, I share stories from the Bronx Science community so that each of us can write a letter that starts with Dear Bronx Science. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and now let's meet our guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dear Bronx Science. And for today's episode, we have Frank Chang, who is a class of 2013, and he currently works in consulting. Frank, can you give an introduction to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you for having me, Victoria. So um, my name is Frank. I um, graduated from Bronx Science in 2013. And after that, I went to the University of Chicago um, and I studied economics there. And since graduating from college, I've been working in consulting in New York. Um, And I'm really excited to just be here and to share my experience. Yeah, me too. It's like you... You are one of the first people when I announced that I launched a podcast, reached out to be a guest. I'm really happy to have you here and for you to be able to share your story with the Bronx Science community and learn more about your time at after Bronx Science, from Bronx Science to U Chicago to where you are in consulting. So let's bring it back to Bronx Science. Um, what did it mean for you to attend and graduate from Bronx Science? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing that came to mind um, is just that my brother also attended Bronx Science. And so I kind of had a role model at the school already. Um, he's two years older than me, so we overlapped a little bit. Um, and so that kind of demystified the experience a little bit and made it a little bit less intimidating. Um, but I think that my perspective on this has changed, especially after graduating. Um, so at U Chicago, a lot of my peers did not attend public schools. Um, especially the ones who attended elite private schools or boarding schools, I just felt that there was definitely a different attitude between Bronx Science alumni and them, specifically around community service and just engagement with the community around our college. So UChicago is located in a fairly low-income area or part of Chicago. And so I could definitely feel that um, I felt less out of place there. Like it felt more, um, like I, I just felt like I could be a more active member of the community there. So Frank, can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that difference in community mindset between you when versus those that you saw when you went to college? Yeah, I feel like, like, so I'm sure that you can relate, like during the first few weeks of college, like there are all these like fairs where people try to sell you on joining their clubs. And I just naturally gravitated towards the community service clubs because I just, kind of came to college with that sense of service um, and wanting to give back to the community around me. And I just noticed that a lot of people from other backgrounds would have gravitated instead toward more pre-professional clubs or ones that had, um, that they saw as like more value additive to their professional careers or just their success um, in college. So I I just had a, I just brought a different mindset to that. No, I think I definitely observed that as well. And I think for me, how I also interpret that was I think a lot of other my classmates may have knew about what other professional careers you can pursue, like the investment club or consulting club. I don't think I understood what those were. 
coming into Dartmouth and service was what I knew. I mean, I was in key clubs. I definitely knew that. And I think if I think back to the early clubs that I was part of, one was, um, it was a new club that was starting up called the Pan-Asian Wellness Initiative. And it was started to raise awareness about mental health in Asian American communities, because it's definitely a very stigmatized um, topic. And yeah, I guess I never thought of it that way for myself as well. When you brought up that story of just going to the club fair, I think I definitely, I never, I didn't realize it now, but I guess I gravitated more towards the service because that's what I was familiar with. And also with the Asian American identity being in a, a Dartmouth that's so majority white. But yeah, I think a lot of people also definitely gravitated pr- to the pre-professional, but I think also I wish I kind of knew what those were. I kind of steered clear from consulting actually when I was in college. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I think that some of, I mean, it's interesting that we both gravitated towards community service because that was what was familiar to us. And I think embedded in that was also, I was quite intimidated by the pre-professional clubs because they seemed to be full of people who knew exactly what they wanted um, and were willing to like work very hard for it. And I just wasn't quite sure yet. Um, So yeah, similarly to you, like one of the first organizations I affiliated with at UChicago was called Splash. Um, it's like this, um, I, I, they have chapters across the country. Um, so there's like a Splash Columbia and a Splash Stanford, but essentially it's um, a program that universities put on. It's completely student run and they have, um, they basically teach classes to high school and middle school students in the area. And um, there's like a small fee, but I think it's a great way for people to just learn from um, students at these universities. Mm. And I also wanted to also like touch on that point where you felt that like, I forgot the exact wording you said, but um, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that like, it seemed like the, like those pre-professional groups like seemed like very out of there for you. And for me, um, it resonated with me that point because I actually didn't even apply to any consulting firms when I was in college, because I just seemed like something I couldn't achieve. Like I wouldn't be able to do that work. These case interviews seem too hard to do. And I just didn't even gravitate toward them because I just didn't even understand what they were. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, like a lot of these clubs you have to apply for and they have their own like interview processes, which is so funny to think of now. Um, but it was like its own form of recruiting um, that happened very early on. Um, but yeah, I, I often do think about how the case interview is very intimidating, especially for people um, whose families um, work in the service industry and might just be conditioned to just, um, instead of propose approaches and to sort of lead discussions instead to like listen and be more responsive. So um, I do think that there's like an element of classism like built into um, the case interview process. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, I guess before we touch too too much right now on like college and what you do now in terms of consulting and that experience, um, you and and before um before we were we pressed record, you also I thought you brought a good point that you were also very involved in the speech team at Bronx Science. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was a student, okay, well the speech and debate team was always called speech and debate but people only really cared about the debate piece. So I think speech was like fairly new when I was a student. Um, And I hope that it's bigger now. I actually have no idea. Um, But the type of speech that I did was extemp speech. So essentially 
the way that it works is you get a prompt and then you get like 30 or so minutes to prepare like a six minute speech about it. And then you have to deliver it to an audience. And then you're ranked, I think, between one and six or seven, um, depending on how good your speech was. And then that's how the tournament works. And then you go all the way up to finals, um, if you're good. I never made it to finals, but um, it was a really interesting experience because I think that speech and debate taught me that whatever you do in life, like it's very useful to be a good speaker. Um, So whether you want to be in medicine and science or in law, where it's like more obviously important, um, it it always serves you well. And so um, I'm, I think that after that experience, like I just felt a lot more confident with public speaking throughout college and even today. Um, So I think that it was a very useful experience. Mm. I'm curious, what led you to join the speech team? Because now you're talking about all the benefits. What, what led, I don't know, maybe freshman, sophomore, whatever age you were you to join? Yeah. Well, I think I was first drawn in by debate because there was such a cult around debate. So like I, initially started in Lincoln-Douglas debate, which is like the one-on-one debate versus policy, I think it's two-on-two. And I didn't like it. Like people talked at like 300 words per minute and I just didn't know what was happening. And and it also felt, importantly, it felt like a zero-sum game where it was like me against you and like only one of us can win. And it's implicitly better if your opponent is not doing well. Whereas speech felt like a more collaborative environment where everyone was encouraged to do their best. Um, And there was still an element of zero sum because only one person could be ranked first. Um, But someone else doing well doesn't directly impact you adversely. So um, Bronx Science is very competitive, as we all know. So it was nice to have like um, a a less competitive experience. Um, And so that was what drew me to speech. Mm, No, I think... No, I think that's really great to hear. Is I think, think back to my time at Bronx. I mean, you know my sister. She was in the debate team. Yeah, I uh, I know my my mom recommended me to do speech and debate, and I was like, oh, this seems scary. I'm not going to do it. So I, I I didn't do that. But later on in my time through college and then into work, I, I definitely also realized the importance of making sure that you're able to present yourself well, able to articulate your points clearly, and that's one of the reasons actually why I started this podcast, one of many reasons. And it was just that during the pandemic, I realized I just wasn't talking much. There's just no presentation opportunities, very few, or if you are, you're just talking to a computer screen. It's not the same. And I started the podcast as a way to give me, give myself more room to to speak and to talk with people and to practice my skills. Also recording yourself. It's a great way to hear yourself, to see what you tend to do. And I think that's, those are really good points. And how have you, you mentioned that you've seen um, being able to, you know, speak well, present yourself well, um, has helped you later on after Bronx Science. Are there specific moments where you felt that it has um, helped you? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I was really looking forward to about college is just the discussion style classes. I felt that Bronx Science um, was much more lecture based where you would just sit and absorb information. So I think that the speaking experience definitely helped when it came to just speaking up in class and just sharing ideas, um, just doing it concisely and with intention, I think was helpful. Um, and then of course, so that's one area. Another area is in terms of my student organizations. So I was 
a leader in quite a few. I think I start, I was involved in the founding teams of, um, I want to say three or four. And I think speaking was definitely a component of that. Um, So um, it was definitely useful throughout college. And, And today I agree with you. Like I don't get to use my speaking muscles as much as a junior consultant, but hopefully um, as my career progresses, like I'll be able to speak more as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that like when you go, when you're in high school, you have those four years and like the speaking opportunities increase, but it's like, it's four years. And then same with college, but you can, you can start earlier if you want to, but at the same time, the rate of the number of opportunities you have to speak increases in four years, but like in the working world, it's just increases so much more slowly and it, it also always makes me wonder, like, oh, am I losing my ability <laughs> to present or does that speech muscle weakening? And um, no, I think it's, 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 um, it's an interesting change going from, the, from college into the working world and having and experiencing that very big change in terms of, like, the hierarchy within um, the teams that you're working with that relates to how much you're speaking as well. Like what you're hearing? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. I upload a new episode every Sunday. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, and thank you for your support. Now back to the show. And Frank, I think just pivoting more to um, understanding what it is that you do now, can you share that with our audience? Yeah, sure. So um, currently I work in economic consulting. So what this is, is essentially, um, I would, I usually describe it as like being at the intersection of business economics and law. So economic consultants are hired by law firms who represent companies that are undergoing litigation. So essentially they're being sued and they need economic consultants to come in and help them quantify how much money was lost or how much money they owe other people. So it's a lot of valuation work, a lot of forecasting, and a lot of statistical modeling. And I think that what I was looking for coming out of undergrad was a very quantitative and research-oriented role. And so that's really what drew me to it. Um, And I do think it's very interesting from like an academic and research standpoint. Um, But I I think ultimately I do want to steer my career back towards the business track and away from economics because um, instead of being a thought partner for my entire career, I'd love to actually execute and like make things happen. So um, I'm currently navigating a transition away from economic consulting. Mm. And I guess I'm curious, how did you, you know, make that decision? Was it that in college you thought you wanted to go into economic consulting, but then going into economic consult, you realize, oh, maybe I want to pivot that way. So I think it's interesting. I think maybe for listeners, who, who knows, maybe they are in the early stages of their career, or maybe they're in college, or maybe they're even in high school, maybe they're later in their career and they want to make a pivot. How did you realize when you wanted to make that pivot and how you would make that pivot? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't go through college expecting to become an economic consultant um, at all, actually. I kind of fell into it during my fourth year. Um, essentially starting from, so if I were to map out the phases I went through in college, I entered 
as a non-committal pre-med who is essentially looking for an escape from pre-med, like anything that would take me. So um, I dabbled in the humanities and in economics, and then I ended up committing to economics. And then within that realm um, of econ, most people at UChicago gravitate toward finance. Um, So I also aligned with the finance track. And so my sophomore and junior summers, I interned at banks. And those experiences were really interesting, but they left me feeling that um, work at these banks didn't really um, leverage my strengths very much. Like I didn't feel that I had a strong comparative advantage compared to other bankers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I wanted to move toward, again, like a more research-oriented role because I felt throughout college that I really enjoyed synthesizing information and sharing it with people in an impactful way. So consulting was a natural next step from that. Mm, I see. I see. Gotcha. It's like, that's a, that's a nice part about college. You get to explore different things and then hopefully you get closer and closer. And then for you, I guess it sounded like you decided it's like, seems like consulting, you went to economic consulting, but now maybe you want to go towards more of the business side into being more involved with the business rather than being a thought partner. Um, I guess mm-hmm. just curious, like in terms of that pivot, is that that you're thinking of like, you know, after consulting, maybe you want to I don't know, run your own business or be working internal at a, at a company to help them execute their strategy? As of now, that that's definitely my thought process that I would like to either move in-house or start my own company. Um, but I, I'm not entirely sure what that will look like. And it'll probably be like, I would imagine a two to three year time horizon before I have more clarity on that. Mm. Yes, I think for me, when I joined consulting, it was more just like, I, I know this will be helpful in my future and then like getting that experience with strategy, but not knowing what comes next. I think that that's like, that's like the nice part about consulting. It, it leaves your future wide open for whatever it is that you want to do. And I think Bronx Science also did that kind of left your future pretty open as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I would say though, that um, I do think that there are two types of consultants. Like there are the consultants who join to do consulting and are very happy to be there. And then there's the second type of consultant who like comes in with a, an exit plan already in place and they're executing on it. Like I will do this for two years and then I will go to X company or go to law school um, or business school. Mm-hmm. I feel that um, my, when I entered economic consulting, I was definitely in the first category. I was just happy to be there and to just soak up the experience But I think as I think about my future, I think it's really important to be able to drive your career and to know where you want to go next. Um, And so I'm definitely more in the second category now. And I would encourage people to think about both. I mean, I I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer, but I've definitely noticed those two types of people. Mm, I like that point you bring up because I think some people, when I tell them what consulting, I don't think they realize that this isn't a, this doesn't always have to be a career that someone stays in forever. Oftentimes there are people in that second camp where they have an end game in mind and consulting is just one of the stepping, um, the one of the steps. Whereas I think when I came in, I was more in the first camp because I was transitioning from another, my first job out of college into consulting was just grateful that I was able to be there without having to go to business school that I could just get into consulting first um, without that. So I think I was definitely more in the, in the camp that was like <clears throat> more grateful, but I think it's really important to keep in mind of your end plan and end game or at least what your next step will be. So I 
think that with high school and college, there's a lot of momentum created by the place that you're in. But if you in the in in the working world, if you don't create your own momentum, like you literally could be you could be staying there like forever. And the question is, are you happy with that? Are you staying because you actually like the job? Are you staying because you're too scared to move? Are you staying there because you like the money? And you're like, okay, forget it. I'm not gonna move. Like there's so many of these different questions. And if you don't make the momentum before you know know it, you. I don't know. You could be retired and asking yourself, was this the right decision to make this? Like no decision. Yeah. And and I do think that part of it is that um, I, I come from a family that isn't in the business world. And so I felt excited just to be there. And I didn't really ask too much of my career in terms of advancement or like switching jobs every few years and just figuring out. I didn't have such strong opinions about where I wanted to be. Um, But I do think that having been in it for a few years, like I do think I'm ready to ask for more out of my career. And so um, I do think that um, it's also related to where you come from um, and eventually you'll figure out where you want to go. I guess like, how was that experience? Like for me, when you, when you mentioned that, like that really resonated with me. It's like, I wasn't like something I was going to ask my mom or rather I remember when I, or I wasn't sure if I should ask advice from my mom. I remember when I first, um, joined LDK she says oh just listen don't talk like just listen and see what's happening yeah. like, okay that was that was probably the wrong advice I should have been talking more in my first few months rather than taking that advice like how was it for you going into the corporate world probably the I don't know if you were I guess you have an older brother but you were probably one of maybe the first few to in your family to be going into the U.S. corporate world working environment like this how was that experience for you? Yeah. I mean, it was very similar to what your mom described. I mean, my parents were very proud of me and they were very excited. Um, and they felt that it was a great opportunity. Um, and yeah, they just felt very lucky to like have me be in it. Um, but I, I realized very quickly that like my peers whose parents were already established in the corporate world saw it as like more of a stepping stone and like not somewhere to stay forever. Um, and so they were urging their um, kids, I guess. I don't. It's weird to call them kids because they're adults uh, working professionals at that point. But yeah, I, I do think that like your parents do impact like your attitude about staying where you are or wanting to move on. And my parents were definitely more like yours were, it sounds like, in terms of just like staying there and doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think often, I guess like, I think I was telling my mom, like, oh, here's how much I'm earning now. She's like, oh, wow, like you're like earning one of them. You're earning the most money in the family technically now. And yeah. I think maybe for other people, maybe they're nowhere clear, nowhere near their parents' income. And and I think for me, it's like, I, I it, it brings up to another point that just came to my mind is that I think it'd be important to mention, I, I, not you haven't touched on it, but um, just because like, you're earning the most in your family. You've never seen this much money. Like it's important to also like negotiate your, your salary. Mm -hmm. If it's like something that's, that's possible that you can do and like definitely bring it up. So I think sometimes you're just like, do I negotiate? Do I not? Like, is this like, should I just be grateful? Like we were talking about that mentality of being grateful of where we are. Yeah, exactly. It's very important to know your worth and to advocate for yourself. Even if in the back of your head, like it does seem so counter to, your values or like how your family sees where you are. I think oftentimes I wrestle with feeling guilty or spoiled for asking for more or for being dissatisfied with where I am, but then realizing that 
in fact, like I'm only asking to be treated equally <laughs> as my peer group is. And um, at a certain point, like you, you do need to advocate for yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, in like, for example, high school or college settings, everyone's sitting in the classroom, you kind of can see how everyone is advocating for themselves by participating. Yes, there's probably people going to office hours or in Bronx Sign, we call it SGI. I don't remember what it stood for, but it was like basically office hours for us. But you could see how everyone's advocating yourself. But in, in the office, you don't, you, you don't really see how everyone could be advocating themselves. They might be working in different teams. You're not technically all together in a classroom talking amongst each other and I think that's that's super important knowing your worth and and I think I fell into that pitfall um, of just thinking I should be grateful of where I was versus like actually advocating for myself and seeing hey it's not that I should be grateful like they should be grateful that they have someone like mm-hmm. me here like being with your exactly. here mm-hmm. yeah and we we haven't touched much on this but I'd like to hear more about this you mentioned earlier that you were on the founding teams of like three to four clubs, or it just sounds like you were, you know, pretty involved in different clubs and, and you Chicago, is that a, a fair assessment or am I interpreting this differently? Yeah, I do think that's like somewhat a fair assessment. I would say that um, my involvement in all of them was limited. So I, I didn't end up building long lasting organizations, but it was more just, like a passion project for me that sometimes just fizzled out quite quickly. But um, to name a few of them, like the first one was the intercollegiate finance journal. Um, So this was just um, a multi-campus publication that discussed topics in finance. Um, The second one was um, there was an LGBT business alliance And so this was essentially a networking group for or affinity group for LGBT students in the Chicago community who were interested in business careers. And then the last one was, oh my gosh, I don't remember the name of it. That's okay. What did they do? Oh, it was called Queer Plus Asian. And it was an organization that was devoted to just creating space for intersectional identities um, and just discussion about what it means to be both in the queer community and a person of color. Um, so those, those were the three that come to mind. Mm, gotcha. And I guess like in, in reflecting your time, you know, in college and now like, are you also still involved with, um, I don't know. It's like, like in high school, you call it extracurriculars, but it's like the things that you do outside of work, like what are, are there other, are there like groups or like activities that you're involved with hobbies? One of the biggest things that I do currently as an, as an extra activity is that I run, um, which has been really fun in New York city. There are these races that are put on by New York Roadrunners. They host, for example, the New York city marathon. That's their biggest race. Um, but they also have, a bunch of smaller races throughout the year. And I think they're all very fun. Um, they didn't happen during the past year, of course, because of COVID, but um, I'm excited for them to return. And I've met a lot of friends through running. So it's been um, a great experience. Mm. No, I think, yeah, I think it's, that's great for like, so I did cross country when I was back in 
in high school and I really like that atmosphere like when you're like all coming together in the race like everyone's trying to achieve the co- like the common goal um but it's also it's like because there's so many people running it's like not as obvious like what place you're in <laughs> to be honest like you're just trying to finish it and it's like it's like it's a great accomplishment to see what time you have and did you were you always interested in running or was it something that you got into after college or during college yeah that that's a great analogy by the way so Brock Science Suits if you're listening like it's basically like cross country, except where all the people are adults. Um, so um, I had never run on a team before. I'd always just done it on my own. I started running in college as a way of relieving stress because it was a very stressful time. And um, also Chicago, I think, is a really great place to run because as you know, Victoria, it's like very flat. <laughs> so you can just run forever. Um and yeah, so that that's how it started for me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think yes. I and would you be able to run by the lake or is the camp? The campus is kind of near the lake, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I would run along the lake. Um, the lake was about maybe a fifteen-minute run from where I lived um, at U Chicago, and then I would usually go for like a mile or two along the lake and then turn back come back down um so yeah that that was definitely a good thing about being in chicago do do, do you also run along the lake in chicago so i'm not much of a runner (laughs) anymore now after high school Uh, (laughs) i run occasionally and i really not i really resonate with the part that you said like it helped relieve stress because before the pandemic i started running more actually like right before the pandemic, right before March 2020 last year, I was running more and it was, I realized it was also a great stress reliever because at work in the past, I would just work straight through the day and night. But then I started doing a, a break at 6 p.m. And I remember one night I was like, I guess like really stressed or just like felt very jittery about work, like almost physically. And just going for a run like in the office gym on the treadmill just helped me so much to like get all that jitters out and to just like be like come back to work feeling much calmer. And I think that's something that, you know, I, I, uh, back in high school when I did run or do any sports, it was more that, oh, check off a box or, oh, I need to go do this extracurricular. And now I didn't really think of it like, am I having fun? Because in the back of my mind, it's always like, oh, I lost that point in tennis. Like, oh, I messed up. Not just like, hey, am I having fun? So I think that's like a really important point you brought up that it was just for the enjoyment or just to like relieve stress. Yeah. And I think adding to the enjoyment, like it started out as relieving stress. And I think as an adult, like it's taken on a lot more dimensions with New York Roadrunners. Like now there's one, there's like a sense of community where I have met a lot of other runners. Um, there are also these like neighborhood groups that are affiliated with New York Roadrunners. And one of them is Prospect Park Track Club. When I lived near Prospect Park, like it was fun to meet people in the community through that. Um, and now that I'm in Manhattan, I I um, run with Front Runners, which is a group of LGBT runners. Um, and I, I think so one is a community. I think another piece is that it makes me feel like I have a goal or something to work toward that's completely within my own control that like nobody else can really dictate for me. Um, and I think especially in the working world, as we talked about um, how advocacy can be hard to track or to see, like it's good to feel like, I have some goal that I can work on independently um, during my own time um, and to actually see progress. So I think that those are 
two other parts of the enjoyment that have came up in more recent years. Mm, I really like that point you mentioned of having a goal that you're independently pursuing. Because um, <clears throat> for me, I remember when I was going through, I'm still in my obviously my working journey, but earlier on, I realized I didn't really have a goal independent of work. And then I started probably tying a lot of my, you know, how well am I doing my self-worth to like, how was I doing at the job? And there are just sometimes like, you know, if you don't have something else that you're pursuing, like if you tie yourself just to that, or it's kind of like in high school, if you tie yourself just to those class, your scores, your grades, like that's definitely not a healthy habit to be in. So I really like that you brought that point. So thank you for bringing up that, that up. I think sometimes people maybe don't realize that I definitely didn't realize that. And having this podcast, for example, just something that I'm pursuing independently outside of work has been really fulfilling. And to, to know that, hey, there's other things that I can do that are outside of work. What are some of the goals that you're pursuing through running? Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's so it's so great to have goals that you're in the driver's seat for because then you can feel it, can, it restores a sense of autonomy and just, um, yeah, independence to your life, especially when work is so interdependent. Um, so some of my running goals, um, last year I was hoping to go under 90 minutes in the half marathon, which is, I don't know if there are any runners listening to this, but that's like a slight mark of distinction. I think like a lot of runners are able to do it, but um, it, it implies that you're running at a moderately fast pace for a moderately long time. <laughs> um, and then longer term, I'd love <clears throat> to go under three hours in the full marathon, which is a, a more rare mark of distinction. And I know that I'm describing these as almost like weird honors that runners get, which is really not like my intention with this. It's more about like, I just want myself to know that like my body is capable of doing this because throughout my life, like I haven't been very athletic and I've often doubted my athletic ability. So I think to be able to do that is really affirming for myself, independent of how fancy it might seem to other people. No, I think, I think that makes sense. Like for me, my only taste of running was from cross country and we ran five Ks and I definitely was probably the slower person on the team, but it was pretty easy to even get on the team. And I remember that moment when I got under, maybe you'll think like, oh, that's so high. But like when I got under 30 minutes for the 5K, I was like, oh my God, I'm like under 30 minutes. Like this actually like, because like I felt, I think it was like treated like 30 minutes kind of was like, if you're above that, you're probably pretty slow. But if you like start getting underneath it, it was like there were girls running that in like, like low 20s the 5k's or something like that and like there were the guys who were like some were super fast running at like 18 or 19 minutes i remember and just going like what the heck is wrong with these humans like how are they running so quickly but it's like i think those like having those badge of honors and the great thing about running is there is a a quantitative number that you can see whereas for tennis like if your opponent's just worse than you then of course you're gonna win but it's not the same as you can like very directly compare it to another point in time um, so I think, no, I think that's really cool that you have these goals. And I guess, how close are you to these goals? Are they like within reach or like still you got, you got time, you still have time to reach them? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think the objective basis to running is a, a huge appeal for me. I think tennis, you mentioned, I think there are often questionable calls about like whether a ball is in or out, or if you have some kind of fault and like, there's none of that in running. So anyone who's interested, I strongly recommend running, but, um, I'm not very close to either goal. I was pretty close to the first one of the 90 minute half 
last year, but then I got some minor injuries that have prevented me from making more progress. And then regarding the three-hour marathon, like I think that's more like in a few years. I, I would put that pretty far in the future. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And I'm um, just curious. You mentioned that um, you didn't, you weren't that athletic before. Like, how did you get into mm-hmm. running? Yeah, um, it was definitely daunting as a as an unathletic person to do it because I don't know if you remember there was like a pacer test in public schools which was, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think that, that should exist anymore because that was really traumatizing. But um, so basically the pacer test is like, there's this soundtrack that they play and then you run back and forth until you literally can't run anymore. Um, and there's like a, there's like a, there's like a ding sound, like when you're supposed to hit each mark on the pacer test. But anyway, so I was very bad at that. And I was always a person that people would pick last for their like kickball teams or whatever. And um, yeah, so I, I never thought I could function athletically. But I think for me, I just, um, when I was at college, there was a gym available. It was free. It was right there. So I just thought I might as well try the gym. And I think just being there, especially at UChicago, I don't know if this is true elsewhere, but UChicago is a very nerdy school. And so the gym was not an intimidating place at all. Like I think at Dartmouth, like I might be afraid to go to the gym, but at UChicago, I felt very at home in the gym. That's all I will say. So um, I think that was how it started out, just wanting to use the resources on campus. And then I started to run outside and it was more of a stress relieving thing. And then now it's just fun. So, okay, no, I I, la- I chuckled at that, that comment about the gym. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I love that how you mentioned now it's become more of a community aspect. Um, how did you get? You say you're involved with different like running groups. Like for example, like how did you get involved with a, a front runner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So New York Road Runners, like the website lists out all of the clubs within it. Um, and I just like explored through there and found the clubs. And then I think once you show up, they're very welcoming. So if anyone's on the fence about going, I would just go like, it's not scary at all. So Frank, I guess before we, before we wrap up, um, just, um, before I ask that final question, are there any other moments that influenced you that whether it be from rock science to college to even now, Yeah, definitely. I think one thing I want to highlight is um, during Bronx Science, I felt really restless because um, obviously you're in class for like six to seven hours a day. And most of that time you're passively absorbing information. And so I was really craving more intellectual stimulation and discussion. And, And I would say to anyone else who's a current student who feels that way, like, that will come. And I feel like that's something that I looked forward to in college and I definitely got it there. So um, I would just say to be patient for whoever feels similarly to how I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think that your curiosity will be rewarded at one point. You don't always have to um, sort of let it take a backseat to memorization or just passing exams. Like you'll have a chance to use that at some point. Mm, No, I like that point. It's like, like you said, a lot of it's just like we're kind of sitting there absorbing information, 
Um, yeah. and, and like, I was definitely, when I got into college and all of the discussion based classes, I definitely wasn't that I wasn't prepared. It's was more that I just wasn't used to that from my time at Bronx science. And so, no, I think that's a really important point. I think, I think for me, I didn't know what was going to, like what was possible after Bronx science or like, you know, Bronx science seemed like the world, the universe at the time. Mm-hmm. And just to, yeah, exactly. and to, um, to, to wrap us up now. So this podcast is called Dear Bronx Science. So pretend you're writing a letter and you just address it, Dear Bronx Science. How do you want to finish it? And Bronx Science can be whatever you want to interpret it, whether that be uh, the school itself, the students, the alumni, or just the larger community, however you want to interpret that. Yeah. Um, I think what I would want to, the message I would want to leave Bronx Science and the community with is to be true to yourself at every stage of your journey. Um, because if you aren't, I think it does catch up with you. And I think this is especially addressed at um, current high school students, because I think that in high school, everything happens very quickly. As you mentioned, Victoria, like it's a four year sprint where you can basically tell yourself anything and just do it. Um, but as you move on through the next steps, like it becomes harder to maintain lies to yourself like if you are lying to yourself that you want to be a pre-med that's easy to do throughout high school but it will catch up with you most likely at some point in college if not afterward and it's always better I think to correct those issues sooner so that you can spend more time doing what you really want to do so um I would recommend to anyone who feels like they're being disingenuous like just to like let yourself be yourself and I think that that would save you a lot of time and effort in the long run. Um, And I think that also applies to alumni who are already working. Like I've also seen a lot of friends who have dropped out of various professional schools like law school or medical school um, because they realized that it wasn't for them. And so um, I think it's just useful to um, be honest to yourself sooner. No, I really, I think I really, really like that point. Like at Bronx Science, maybe we feel like we have to pursue something specifically, or maybe there's other pressures, but just like knowing yourself, being honest with yourself. And like you said, doing it early rather than later when it snowballs and do something completely big, like very big, that's very hard to just ignore. So thank you. Thank you, Frank. Yeah. I would say just very quickly, a second piece to that is that um, if you do notice kind of later on that you want to do something else, like it's okay to make a change. Like it's not too late. And I think the current moment is the soonest that it'll ever happen. So I would definitely recommend making the leap and going after what you really want. Um, even if you feel like you're late, like it's, it's definitely better now than later. Mm. So that's all. And like quick plugs on episodes that relate on points that Frank has mentioned is um, Angela Choi's episode. She talks a lot about finding your purpose and how to be honest with yourself and listen to what it is that maybe you do want to pursue. And then the other point that Frank mentioned, which is it's never too late to start something new is um, I think Camilla's episode could also be very good for listeners, the audience members to listen because she pursued uh, more creative endeavors later on after college. So Frank, I think a lot of what you mentioned, a lot of us, also agree with and I think um I think no I think those are all great points I think when people are all saying like you know similar points like all these things that we learned later on we wish we knew them earlier yeah definitely and it's sort of like a tautology where it's like oh I know it now but (laughs) I wish I knew that before but it's 
like you'll never know everything um, early on. So it, it's okay to learn by doing as well. So I think sometimes that's like the best way to learn to just make the mistakes and learn from it afterwards. So that's okay too. Mm, definitely. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us your story, your experience and insights. Thanks for tuning in to hear this story from the Bronx Science community. Follow us on Instagram at Dear Bronx Science to stay updated on new episodes. And if you're interested in being a guest, fill out the form linked on the Instagram page. Be sure to tune in every Sunday for a new episode.